0: Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you online, good morning to you also. We're in Paul's letter to the Romans. We have our own brand of diversity here. We preach to the loonies, to the legalists, to the level-headed. We preach to sinners of all ages. That's our form. And I say that because we're going verse by verse through Romans. I would prefer to skip Romans altogether, much of it. But we have to go through all of God's Word. And it is a great blessing in that. This morning, um, the title is Weeding Out the Legalists. And if um, you're offended by that, you've just admitted to being a legalist. You say, well, what is a legalist? Well, hopefully we'll find out and while I, um, you know, I have my own personality, I, I hope it doesn't come off as unloving. That's not a good beginning. Uh, but, uh, you know, that it is the, the information is what it is. So, if you would stand please, Romans chapter 7. I might have said 6 earlier. Romans chapter 7, we're going to take verse 6, and then we'll get into it. Romans chapter 7, verse 6, But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Please be sit- seated. Weeding out the legalist. Understanding Romans is, can, can be a little tricky and uh, just coming to this 7th chapter on the heels of what we call chapter 6, you, you know, what is Paul doing? What is he saying? Why is he saying it this way? Why is he hitting it over and over again? Well, a brief overview of this section, which really runs chapter 6, 7, and 8, is he's saying to them that they're released from the old covenant religion. Not the morals, but the ceremonies. In verses 7 through 25 in this chapter, he is saying that there are struggles in the New Covenant faith. And then in the 8th chapter, he's going to set, tell them that there is obedience and there is grace in Christ. So that's a brief overview. Verses 1 through 6, released from the Old Covenant, 7 through 25, struggles in the New Covenant, and then chapter 8. Uh, These three chapters go together, obedience and grace in Christ. And I'll repeat points uh, in different ways, hopefully, because it's necessary when you're dealing with uh, uh, the difficult behavior found in legalists. Paul constantly battled legalism, that child of guilt, not grace. And uh, he's doing it here. Remember, he's writing to the Christians that, are in Rome and they are made up of it seems from the writing of this letter mostly Jews but Gentiles also and some of those Gentiles might have been converted to Judaism so he knows that there is going to be legalism there and he faced it all of his ministry lawlessness is not what is is not the alternative to legalism lawlessness is a distortion of liberty. We have liberty in Christ. We're not to be lawless in Christ. Legalism is a distortion of obedience. And I think that's why it thrives, because people think that I'm being obedient by being judgmental, self-righteous, and all these other things that lack grace. Legalism's definition is easily, or I should say more easily, found in observing the behavior of the people guilty who struggle with this. And it is a struggle for some. For some, they, they want out, but it's very hard for them. Legalism isolates the law of God from the God who gave them the law. He's kind of put on the side and they're kind of just running with the information. Remember, it was legalists who crucified Christ, it was legalists who hunted the apostles. It was legalists who stoned Stephen to death and then tried to enter the church, not the same identical people, but those who who carry this behavior with them. They tried to smother Christianity to death. We pick it up in Acts chapter 15. Certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's legalism. That's one part of legalism. That you have to comply with the law, the legal end of it. Never mind Christ. You've got to do these things. And it's a very sneaky thing when it comes into Christianity. It disconnects the meaning of, well, the letter. The letter is the meaning. But the Spirit is the intention, and they disconnect the two. I'll give you an example. Maybe there's a law that says you cannot lie down on the sidewalk. Hey, all right, fine. You're walking down the street, and you, you you faint, and now you're lying down on the sidewalk. Well, the legalistic mind that the law says you can't do that. Never mind. Why? You can't see the forest because of the trees. And this happens. It's ongoing. It's never stopped. It adds their own rules to the laws of grace and thereby killing it is no longer grace. Law sees only the violation. That's what it focuses on, the violation. Grace looks for the solution. Now, I'm going to spend most of the, well, maybe a quarter of our time just on introducing this topic of legalism. Because I, I, again, you know, once you've dealt with someone who's a legalist, You know it's not Christ-like, but it doesn't mean necessarily that you are able to understand just how far-reaching it is. As I mentioned, solutions are not high up on their approach to the faith. In John's Gospel in chapter 8, they wanted to stone the woman, never mind the man. That was legalism in action, but it was also grace in action. When Christ said, go, don't sin anymore, stop doing this, looking for the solution looking for the way to save the sinner, not stone the sinner. When you, hear, when you hear the saying, you know, Christians are notorious for shooting their wounded, unfortunately, there's a lot of truth in that. Not all Christians, but enough of them. And that's either the immature ones who are just carnal and mean-spirited or confused, or it's the legalist. But those who have grace they don't look to shoot our wounded. We look to restore them so they can get wounded again. Because that's part of the process of life and serving Christ. When Paul mentions here the law in its conflict with grace, he is talking about the blind side of applying the old covenant and not, again, the moral obedience to God. He is at no point. Just look back at chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, certainly not. All you need to do is read uh, chapters 5 and 6 of 1 Corinthians, and you get hammered if you are someone who thinks that lawlessness should abound. Lawlessness comes out of hell, not out of Christ. So what Paul means is that in Christ, we are free from the Sabbath, from the diet-keeping, from the circumcision, from the rituals, we're free to serve Christ out of love. Not this sense of, oh, I better do this, or I better do that. The motivations have changed. That which propels me, the fuel, the source of the fuel, the passion that is involved. I would rather speak on the passion. I would rather preach this morning on David dancing before the Ark of the Covenant with all of his might, the passion and service, But there's more to life than just that moment of passion. There are wars. There are struggles. And Paul is fighting for the church because he knows if these chaps get their way, he might not know who they are. He likely never met most of them. He knows they're there. He knows what they do. And he knows what will happen. And he really doesn't care if they're offended at being called out for their guilt. He really would like to have them correct their ways. To the Corinthians, he says, "It's a very small thing that I should be judged by you. And this was imperative to have a man be able to stand up to the carnality of those who were flooding into the New Testament church from the Gentile world and also from the Jewish world. And so he knew wherever there were Jews, there would be, This intrusion of legalism, this is not to uh, beat up on the Jews, we'll beat up on the Gentiles in a minute also. Uh, the Sinners is what we're dealing with. But the Jews, of course, were the ones that held the scriptures. They were the custodians. And this man, Paul, he understood his role. He knew what his role was. And part of it was identifying and fortifying Christianity. And to keep it distinct, not only from Judaism, but from every other religion on earth. And that is our assignment to this day. Christianity is distinct from everybody. And if it offends them, well, that's on their side. Because we'd rather offend them than be an offense to God. And we try to do this lovingly, but the passion often comes out as anger. And, uh, well, you know, that uh, you just have to put on your big boy pants and sort through those things. And so here, Paul, looking to impart Christianity, and he wanted to bless these people in Rome, he tells us that straight out in the first chapter of the Roman letter, in verse 13. He says, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles." Now, the Galatian letter was already written and in long in circulation. So they already got a dose of him against legalism, against Judaism coming into the church. And if you come, come away and say, boy, he was pretty hot this morning, fierce against legalism, read Galatians. Paul says, let them be mutilated. Let them be accursed. Let them go to hell. they fierce against this stuff. Because it undoes Christianity in the name of Christ. And you show me Christians or a church without grace, I don't want to be around them unless I can contribute to a solution. Because that's not Christianity. If there was no such thing as grace, he never would have gone to the cross for us. But he did go. Moses cried out, Show me now your grace that I may know you, that I may find grace in your sight. Grace is a big deal. And it is every bit a part of obedience. It is every bit. A part of that which flows from the throne of God. And when you're showing grace, you won't gossip against people. You won't be smug and arrogant and look down on other people. It, it knocks out a lot of things that need to be knocked out, put out of the life. And so he knew uh, that this legalism had to be weeded out of that church in Rome or else. And as I mentioned, he faced constant opposition. At this point, rabbinical Judaism. The rabbis had so hijacked the Old Testament that they couldn't even see the prophecies of Christ being fulfilled right in front of their eyes or refused a combination of both. But then, then, wanting to be diverse in our accusations against sin, came the Gentiles with their Gnosticism. Paul had to deal with some of that in the Colossian letter. Peter had to deal with that. Jude had to deal with that. John had to deal with that. First John was all about Gnostic teachings creeping into the church. That wasn't legalism. That was just more heresy. It would have been heresy if it was embraced by any of the Christians. And so these were the days of the apostles. Constant battle. You think, after Christ died on the cross, rose again, oh man, Christianity is sweet. Let's tell the gospel to those who are lost and they will run away from their mythology and love the faith. That is inexperience speaking. Those apostles were hammered from day one to the end. The entire letter... Or, well, the book of Revelation was written under the foot of persecution. Paul, uh, John on the Isle of Patmos, he was a prisoner. He's persecuted. He was an old man being persecuted. And to him, God gave the revelation. This is sobriety. This keeps us sober-minded as we're encouraged to be in the faith because it's so easy to become emotionally driven in your Christianity that you become a nuisance. Because you're not praying with understanding, nor are you singing with understanding. It's just all feelings. But when you've got understanding, everything changes from hell's perspective. When hell sees the Christian who is trying to keep that balance, that poise, that allegiance to scripture, then there's a threat. And especially when you stay committed to Christ, no matter how messed up you know you might be. Well, legalism overrules grace. It talks about grace. It just doesn't carry it out. So in Romans 6, he praised the law of God for its intended purpose, which was what? Show us what sin is. Think about this. Maybe maybe you don't identify with this. I do. When I first became a Christian, well, before I was a Christian, I do anything I wanted to. When I came to Christ, oh man, everything had a, and now a filter was put on, and I was like, I can't do that anymore. What I just did was not right, and it was just the law. The law was saying you can't do those things anymore. They're harmful, and I had to relearn and rethink life. I had to be washed in the word of God as the scripture teaches us. I would never have learned what to do, what not to do, and what to do with knowing what to do and what not to do, had it not been for the scripture. And men who could teach me about the scripture. And fellow Christians who could also teach me in one way or another. You can learn from, you know, you, you learn a lot about leadership if you're under poor leadership, you can learn a lot about leadership if you're under good leadership. What do you do with what you're exposed to? It counts. Unfortunately, inexperience is sometimes blind and doesn't realize the benefits that it is receiving because it lacks perception, doesn't have to. Best way to learn. Well, experience is is, is good, but it's costly. Perception. I'd rather perceive a danger than go through the danger first. I'd rather say, you know what, I think that's hot because it's smoldering. And not touch it. Rather than, well, let me test it. (laughs) And grab a handful of coal and find out. Well, Romans 7, where we are now, he is dismissing the Old Covenant under rabbinical influence, He's dismissing that as a solution to sin. Well, Judaism could never reach the world. It is part of the, the dispensations, the, the periods, the rollouts of God. When Paul said Christ was born of a woman in the fullness of the time, he said it was the right timing of God. Why just why couldn't Judaism reach the world? Well, you're required, the men were required three times a year to go to the temple in Jerusalem. Well, how could you do that if you lived in China? Not easily, not all the men. The mountains, the oceans, the rivers, the poverty, the slavery, the sheer distance. Then there were the culture, the cultural things that were involved that never would have allowed freed slaves to participate in a Sabbath. Could you imagine? I'm a you're a slave, you say, well, I'm now, you know, I've converted to Judaism, I'm now working Saturday. The, the master would have dealt with that and would not have went well with you. Uh, you could not be circumcised if you were a slave because that would take you out of work. Well, I can't come to work, my religious, you know, obligations have put me in sick bay for a few days. The feast days, you couldn't make them. So you see, Judaism could never reach the world. The old covenant was limited God knew what he was doing. He hasn't revealed it all to us, but he has revealed enough to us to understand. And so when the time came to reach the world, God activated the new covenant. Otherwise, if, he, if the old covenant was sufficient, there wouldn't be a need for the new one. But there was a need for it. Releasing us from Old Testament religious rituals and ceremonies and restrictions. But get, keep in mind, Never the moral law. The moral law, thou shall not steal, thou shall not kill. Those things, they are unchanging. So the Jewish Christians, they struggled with legalism. That merit-based system, that merit-based religion, as do many Christians who think that they, you know, they still got to do something to be acceptable to Christ Well, we do things because Christ has accepted us. That's why love is a great motivator. The religion of the Jews was made overly restricted, as I mentioned, by the rabbis. Man-made traditions injected into it, burdensome laws, erroneous interpretations of what Moses was teaching. The letter of the law began to kill the spirit of the law. And Jesus said, "And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Go to the Sabbath on a or go to the uh, synagogue on a Sabbath. Jesus, what do you think you're doing? You can't heal that guy. He's got to be sick and lame another day. Do it tomorrow." See, that's legalism. And that is an overt example. It's very subtle. It's religious snobbery, abuse, deadness of faith, Matthew 24, for they bind heavy burdens hard to bear. Jesus talking about the Pharisees who were swimming in legalism. And lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. See, that's the double standard legalism has. And the reason why it gets away is because it's an external package. It's very appealing. Look how obedient I am. Strict to the law. Want to do it this way. Meanwhile, they're hiding what's going on in their life. They'll change churches before you get to see something they've done wrong. That's one of the tactics that I've noticed, over the years. And uh, Titus, Paul told him, because of this influence from the Jews at the early church, and the early church was almost all Jewish. So again, it's, it's not singling out them out because of their being Jews, it's because of the behavior that happened to be uh, because of the dominant people in the church, uh, the Jewish people. Titus one four, he said to the pastor, Paul wrote to the pastor Titus saying to him, don't give heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. And and it's again, um, it's very subtle. You can know a Christian, a, a good Christian who has grace, again, looking for solutions. They're not flipping over rocks, seeing what they can find to charge you with. But at the same time, they're not going to give a pass to sin. If you come up and say to them, hey, you know, um, um, I don't know. I, I like to wear my, uh, whatever it is. I can't think of one right now. I can, but I shouldn't say them. So, <laughs> so uh, I don't even know what I was talking about. Let's come back to this. So anyway, yeah, the Christian wants to find solutions and and not ever give a pass to sin. And if you come out and you say to them, listen, I am committing an act of sin, they're not going to say to you, don't worry about it, grace covers it all. They're going to say, we got to fix this, or else you're going to be disfellowshipped and turned over to the Lord and let him deal with you. That's what Paul said about the man committing uh, an egregious sin in the church. Turn him over to Satan, let Satan have him for a while. Fortunately, that one had a happy ending. Well, the legalistic Christian, in their heart, places far more people in hell than the one who knows grace. The legalist seeks those to be lost as opposed to seek and to save those who are in sin. They talk about grace, but they live without it in their hearts. And the examples of of this are Everywhere in the Gospels. It like Jesus, do you ever notice how hard he hit the Pharisees? Harder than anybody else. Because they were the worst when it came to this particular sin. When Christ said, one of you will betray me. They all began to say, is it I? Is it me? Because I don't want to be that guy. The legalists would have said, is it Peter? <laughs> is it Judas? But he would not have said, is it I? Because that, that would be dismantling his facade of obedience. It couldn't be him. He's too busy judging everybody else. Now, of course, with any, with every uh, crime, there's always a little difference here and there. And this is a crime. Legalism is a crime. And that's why Paul is hitting it and will continue to hit it. When he gets to Hebrews, he takes a a different approach, but he's still hitting, bringing in this kind of behavior into the church. And so uh, legalism has always been about outward appearances and judgments of anyone who fails to look outward superior as they do. That can be transferred onto their children. You look at my children, they're better than your children. And, uh, you know, this kind of stuff, you've got to watch it. It's very, it can, it can be very subtle. And Satan knows how to play this fiddle very well. They fool a lot of people. And Israel was infested with them in Christ's day and in the early days of the apostles. And Paul is determined to keep it out of the church. I said, I'd repeat some of this to you because that's what it calls for. They hide their dirt well when they're in churches. Under the guise of obedience. They're more obedient than everybody else. Matthew 23, verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Jesus said, I can see beyond. I see beyond your exterior. I know what's in your heart. And in the Christianity, I have learned over the years, that they wreck homes. They wreck their own homes, not every single time, of course, but a lot of the times. And they wreck the witness of a church and the witness of Christ because they cannot figure out the mercy and loveliness of true Christianity. And make no mistake, if Christianity were not lovely and beautiful and gracious, you never would have come to it. What attracted you to Christ was his ability to forgive you dirt and all. And you love him for it. And you sing songs to him because he is worthy. And uh, if when it's from the heart and it's not outside of scripture, it's beautiful. And if you've never passionately loved on the Lord, ask him to fill you to overflow to fill you with the Spirit. I mentioned David dancing before the ark. That's not a behavior for church. That was the Jewish culture. It was a a civil uh, function. It was for the nation. It weren't in the the synagogue where it could distract from teaching and things like that. So if you get up and you start dancing in here, we're taking you down. (laughs) I'm serious. Anyway... (laughs) Because the Word of God is in operation. And it is rude to cancel one gift rudely with another gift. Um, All right, anyway, back to this. uh, We look again at the Gospels. We look at the conniptions that were taking place in Israel when Jesus healed on the Sabbath day. They just could not stomach that because their religion. Was more important than what God wanted—the heart of God—and they harbor a love uh, that uh, a a killing of love with a smugness that once you begin to identify them, you could see them from afar off. Um, And and unfortunately, sometimes you know they're they're, they're good people. That you would, if you could just get that legalism out of them, you could do so much more uh, as, as a church. Uh, Even uh, as in a family, they thrive without getting love done. Colossians 2, this is for those who think that this exterior is somehow going to take down the boogeyman. And the boogeyman of the Christian is sin. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. It's all on the outside, but it really doesn't get anything done. And because it's all on the outside, the outside of the cup is dirty, the inside is clean, it's not being addressed, it's going to cause problems. It is a fake love. Luke chapter 7 Jesus illustrates for us just what this legalism in the church is about. This is a story of uh, two debtors that were forgiven their debt. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore. Now, Jesus is in the house of Simon, a Pharisee, who likely submitted to these teachings. uh, And that's why he's named and he was judging Jesus because Jesus had the audacity to let this sinful woman at his feet, weeping at his feet, wiping his feet from the tears that were falling on them with her hair. She was so happy to find somebody who could forgive her for the dirty life she found herself in. And he didn't see her that way. And they were uh, Simon was incensed that if he were a prophet... He would know who this woman was. Yes, Simon, he knows who who you are. And she may have an exterior that is unappealing, but you have an interior and an exterior that are wrong. So Jesus says to him, Tell me, therefore, which of them will love more? The two people that were forgiven. Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Which gets us to why the legalist is. Guilt. They can't understand grace. They carry their guilt. And they channel it into other areas. False obedience overly righteous, self, you know, self-righteous, you judges, they, 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 they miss the point that Christ loves them in spite of their sin, in spite of their inability to conquer sin, which is the next part of chapter 7. In spite of the inability to beat sin out. See, a legalist will admit that they are sinners, they just won't admit that they sin. They keep it from being personal. Again, there's exceptions here and there, a little twist and turns, but I'm giving you an overall. It is easy to, easy to find religion without grace. And it's easy to find religion without obedience, too. We have a whole bunch of them out there saying the Bible doesn't count, doesn't, you know, you know uh, sin doesn't matter. It matters a lot from heaven's point of view, enough to send the Son of God to be abused and nailed to a cross because of one thing. Sin. The world um, is blind to these things. So again, when Paul mentions the word "law," which is in every in each of the first nine verses of this chapter, he's talking about rabbinical uh, rabbinical influences on the Mosaic Law. He's talking about the old covenant ceremonies and rituals. He's saying these things are done with and Christ is sufficient. And if you don't learn how to walk with Christ by grace, then you're going to walk with him by law. And if you walk with him by law, you won't be walking with him well. Can two walk together if they are not in agreement? Verse 1 now, we have Romans today. And we should be able to go through this because I think what I've been trying to say hopefully has summarized what he's going to say in these six verses. And if I had tried to bake it into verse by verse, it it just got to be too long. So he says here in verse 1, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. That's the rabbinical law, the Old Testament law. He's targeting uh, the views that... um, had, had just uh, been accepted and pushed into the church that were outside of Christianity. Um, again, the legalists will not tolerate the sins of others. They'll sidestep their own pretty good. Uh, so, Titus again, chapter 3, because you cannot sustain salvation by your works. You're not acceptable to Christ when you come to him, but you accept him. You can't work to remain acceptable to him. If I could earn my salvation, then I could lose myself. I could do something to blow it. Do you understand what grace is? From top to bottom, it's you don't deserve this. That's it. Then why am I getting it? Because I love you. Now i got to relearn love. I've got to learn that there are other kinds of love. That there's, it's okay to love things in life. I I can, you know, maybe I I love calligraphy. That's fine. Maybe I love milkshakes. That's advisable. (laughs) But those cannot compare to my love for God. Maybe I love my family. Jesus said, you better watch that. Because if I find that you love your family more than me, we're going to have problems. Luke chapter 14, uh, verse 26 And so get it, this is is our assignment to sort these things out with love and grace without ever trivializing sin. Well, Titus, Paul said, not by works of righteousness would we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. There is that renewal. I look back at my life, and there are things that, well, I still haven't mastered yet. But there are a lot of things that are very different about me now, since I've come to Christ. And I'm not going to throw Satan a bone and say, well, it's not working, because I'm not perfect yet. Well, I'm not going to be perfect this side of heaven. I accept that in myself, and I've got to learn to accept it in others. And, and there have been many that have come through here. They've, they've sinned, and they've come to us, and we've worked on a solution. But if they come and they say, well, I don't think it's that bad. Well, there's not going to be a solution. You, you, you know, it has to be. If, if your sin is, is brought out, it has to be confessed. Anyway, no system of human effort can sustain a victorious Christian life. Uh, it is, uh, but legalistic disagrees with that in, in their thinking. And it's a mindset. It is more of a mindset than I think anything else. So as long as you remain under the Mosaic law, he's telling him here in verse 1, outside of the new covenant, uh, you're not coming into the faith that God has for us. Romans 6, verse 19, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. He so I'm going to use these examples. Previously, he used the example of the slave and the master. Now he's going to use the example of, of marriage. And... Um, you know, give you another example of the blind eye of legalism, of the letter of the law without the spirit of the law, is uh, King Saul. You know, he was just a, a total train wreck. He is one of those, it's easier to preach about a character like Saul than it is to come and, for me at least, take it doctrinally as it is in Romans. King Saul, on a, on a day that his son Jonathan started the fight with the Philistines, the enemy that he was supposed to start, King Saul makes this edict, this decree, uh, no one gets to eat anything till we have vanquished the enemy, which was just typical Saul, and it was wrong. Well, Jonathan, his eldest son, did not hear that. He, being the, uh, the prince, uh, he's out, and he's Tired from the battle, because if you're, you know, infantry is running, running, running a lot. You're hauling, you're fighting. It's, it's a lot of work. You're going to get tired. You're going to get thirsty. You're going to, you know. So his energy was low. So he sees, uh, you know, a honey pot, uh, bees, and he sticks his spear into it. He takes the honey, and he he, he is refreshed. And the witnesses said, "You're going to get it now, because <laughs> your dad, the king, said anybody that does that's going to die, and we're going to rat you out." And they did. And what did Saul do? Kill him. His own son. His own son. Saul had other issues. But it's just so, the letter, my edict was no one eats but you ate. Never mind that it brought the victory. Never mind that he didn't hear the edict. Never mind that it was dumb from the beginning. And this is a behavior that can be found. And when does it really flash forward when you stand up to them? When they when they when their legalism flashes forward and you say, wait a minute, that's not scripture. And that's when it comes out. And when they double down, they're not going to give you an inch on a, in a on a verse that requires grace. Anyway, uh there is no way out of God's Old Testament, old covenant, except through the new. That's what he's saying. You're stuck in the old covenant. Well, yeah, stuck might be a little bit too hard. We're in the old covenant and you cannot get out of that until the new one comes. Deuteronomy 18 Moses said that there was going to be one that comes and you better listen to him and if you don't you're going to be cut off. Christ said that was in John chapter 5 said that's me. Deuteronomy 18:15 Yahweh your God will rise up for you, a prophet like me, from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. That gives him all authority, even over Moses. Only death can deliver us from the old covenant. Well, Matthew 26, 28. This is my blood, the new covenant. You better listen to this prophet like Moses said. And then he says, for the remission of sins. Well, wait a minute. I thought the Old Testament brought, you know, the, the blood of animals. Well, the New Testament brings the blood of God. And it is uh, it takes away the sin. It doesn't just cover it. And Paul is illustrating this. He's saying, so if you're in the New Covenant, you've got to die to the old one. And so he uses verse 2 and 3 now, we'll take together. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband for as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she's not to have a party. (laughs) You can say that, right? Because unfortunately, sometimes it gets really tough for people. Sin has done this to us. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Well, uh, he is not, at this point, trying to make a doctrinal statement on marriage and divorce, though it is. He is using the doctrine to make a different statement. We get sidetracked by that when we come to Romans 7. We tunnel vision into... Well, we can, not everybody. You may say, I I don't, I'm fine. But uh, you can get stuck on verses 2 and 3 and forget about everything else he's saying. And so I'm not going to stay on that because he didn't stay on that. But I will say, if you want more in it, well, Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 and 4. But that's not going to be good without some New Testament backup. Matthew 19, the first 12 verses. And then there is our beloved Corinthian letter, chapter 7, verses 10 through 15. And I might add, don't be the proverbial sea lawyer. Where you've picked up a little information and now you think you've got it. These are difficult things. They're not trivial. They are real lives. There's a hell and a heaven involved. When when well, you just I'll you know, give you a curveball. You know, if the unbelieving husband or wife spouse leaves, you're not a, bond, under bondage now. Well, that means if it is a believing spouse and they leave, you're still under bondage. Well, what if that believing spouse becomes an apostate? Renounces. see little curveballs. I'm not trying to settle this right at this point. I'm just telling you that there's more. There's more to... With the letter comes the spirit. It comes reason. And if you look at it black and white, you won't get through the Proverbs of Solomon. Because the Proverbs of Solomon will at one moment tell you to deal with a fool and another moment tell you to avoid the fool. You've got to think and when the Christian stops thinking in the light of Scripture, we get tangled up. And this is why it should take hours for a Christian Bible teacher to prepare. To make sure he's as best as he can. He's not getting tangled up. To read what other men have written and preached on. To see if it it makes sense, if it's true, if it's consistent. And it is a very beneficial system that way. It's just a lot of work. Uh, and it's, it's quite presumptuous to think that Well, I get it because I'm me. If you're going to teach the Bible to your children, for example, you better be praying first. You better be asking the Lord for the insight, letting him know that without him, you are nothing. Uh, Would you want a pastor that comes up, I'm going to teach the word, I didn't bother praying, because I've done this so many times, I'm pretty good at it now. Would you want that? You want to know if I've been praying to God about the things I'm talking to you. And I'm telling you, I do. Because I don't want to get it wrong. And I don't want to get it wrong in front of everybody. Because I don't want to be wrong in front of Christ. I want that well done, good and faithful servant. Anyway, back to verse 4. 4. Therefore, my brethren, remember, if you're offended by these things against the legalists, you must be admitting you're the legalist. And I don't think I've said anything positive about this kind of behavior. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. So he's going into again, he say, I'm giving you an example and I'm using the marriage divorce, you're free from the Old Testament if that old covenant dies? Romans 6, chapter three, uh, verse three. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. We're dead to the old covenant free from the Old Covenant, joined to the New Covenant and its law, which is the outpouring of the Old Covenant law. We don't get to the New Testament without the Old Testament. It's what the Old Testament was working on. Not only preparing a people for Messiah to come out and all the prophecies and things that were going on in that not only as an instrument of God purging uh, much of the uh, promised land of those who were Just so incredibly idolatrous and just uh, sinful with their offering up children and sacrifices and things like that. There's so much more going on to what God was doing through the Jews than just the Ten Commandments. And we New Testament Christians should see that. Moses, Aaron, Samson, David, Solomon, Jonah were all righteous men under the Old Covenant. But it wasn't enough to reach the world. All of those men sinned. We talked about Aaron last session. And God said, you know, there's more to Aaron than this sin. Yeah, it's a sin. It's wrong. It's worthy of judgment. But there's more to the man. And the man is ready to be used. He's ready to submit. Because when when he helped them with the golden calf, he was just as guilty as they were. He's complicit to the crime and God forgave him. See that's grace. And that's Moses showing that grace. When Aaron's sons were were struck by fire for their sin before God. He couldn't finish the meal. He told Moses, I can't. And Moses understood. See, there's the spirit. There's the spirit involved, not only the letter. However, it's not just the spirit. You need the letter too. We still have thus says the Lord. We just have to learn To balance them. You, moms, dads, grandpas, and grandmas, you know when a child asks you a hard biblical question, you've got to reconcile it. You've got to think it through. You can't just dismiss it. And the reason why I know you don't, because many times you come to me and tell me. And you ask me my opinion. Because it has to be reconciled. That's a good thing. Well, anyway, moving along, uh, he says that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead. So he's telling them, look, you're not, you're not becoming a spiritual adulterer by leaving the old covenant and coming into the new covenant, which is what the whole letter of the Hebrews is about. We'll get a quote from that before we're done this morning. That you should bear fruit to God. Uh, that's life producing eternal life. Verse 5 for when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were aroused, I'm almost done, by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. Moses codified sin, uh, but it, again, there's just more to it. There are more coming in the work of God. The Old Testament allowed us the insight the knowledge to be able to receive the New Testament, but you can't go back. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29. And you should know these these kind of verses. When I quote these kind of verses, you should say, oh yeah, I remember that. And if you don't, that means you you just got to, you know, work a little bit more and get the reading done in the scripture. That's what it calls for. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought, worthy, who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant, that's a new covenant, by which he was sanctified, a common thing, and insulted the spirit of grace. He didn't say the spirit of law. What's he talking about here? Well, many of the Jews were claiming Christ, but they were still going down to the temple in Jerusalem, offering bulls and goats and other things like that. And he's saying to them, you're not going to be forgiven if you keep that up. You're trampling the blood of Christ. You're saying, it wasn't enough. I've got to do more. And I've got to bring offerings to the temple. And this is the whole thing with the legalists. I've got to do more. The salvation is not enough to pronounce to pronounce me clean. If the sun says you're clean, you are clean indeed. But it's not enough. And if you have that guilt, you're not going to be uh, very usable to Christ when it comes to Dealing with people who get tripped up in sin. Uh, you know, I wish you could could station you for some of some of us would be benef, would benefit from being stationed among let's say drug addicts. Find out what addiction really is, that there are people that hate their addictions, can't get out of it, crying out to Christ and nobody else. You have to work around that kind of stuff to begin to understand the difference between the letter and the law obedience and disobedience honoring God and dishonouring God I think it's very very it's not the only way it's just one some perceive some know well anyway verse six but now I wonder if I'm being judged for these things that I'm saying I wonder if someone is saying you're being too easy on something or you're being too hard on it Verse 6, but now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Spirit, not the letter. What is Christ doing? What is his goal? Talk about the bondage. Acts 15, now therefore, Peter speaking, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers, nor we were able to bear. Peter is saying, the Old Testament is too hard. The Old Covenant, the flesh could not bear it. And when the rabbis got finished with it, it was sheer religion. The Old Covenant Jews, before Christ, they did the things that they were ashamed of. And how do we know that? Look back at chapter 6, verse 21. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Well, they preferred neither to recall nor to repeat those sins because now they were in Christ and that's what salvation is all about. Galatians 5.1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again With a yoke of bondage. Now that bondage could be anything that is outside the grace of Christ. I've got two more verses and then we'll be done. Paul upholding obedience. 1 Corinthians 9, 21. Not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ. And that includes grace. You cannot serve Christ efficiently without grace, but you sure can help Satan. If you are a Christian and you have no grace, don't think you are a gem of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And without that first one, the rest don't count. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, faithfulness, goodness. Without that first one, love, the Bible says you are nothing. That agape love is a very big deal. And it is to flow through our veins. And when you think about your own failures, it helps you wake up when you're in the face of someone else's failure. Not to give them a pass. I've I've seen that disaster. Closing with this. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Well, let's pray. Something's wrong with my timer. It's ten minutes over. Our Father, where else do we face these things but in the house of God? We can have our devotional time, we can have time in our family, but then there's coming to the house of God, which you have ordained, and there things are laid out before us to provoke us to thought, to reason, to righteousness, to love and grace. And there's nothing like it on the earth. May we learn to appreciate the things you've given to us, whether it be just the good health that we have, the people in our life, the opportunities that we're given, the church where we worship. May we appreciate the things that you have given to us that we may understand that we are to be fervent in spirit, that we are to be diligent serving you, if you've been listening and you've never opened your life to Christ, you're under another kind of law. It is the law of judgment. You're doomed in your sin. You need a Savior. There's no way to heaven without the Savior. He's a confession away. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, is that He is Lord... That he is risen again. God will receive you. He will forgive you for your sin. If you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I've broken your commandments and I come to you. And I ask that you forgive me. And be from this day forward, not only the Savior of my soul, but the Lord over my life. And now, Father, we commit these things into your hands. And ask that if anyone has made this confession this morning. That they would be brave enough to step forward at the end of service and make it known to one of the pastors. We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen.